0: Following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA network.
1: Hi everybody, this is former WWE superstar Al Snow. Snowy.
2: CWN
0: Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast.
1: Now get on the Woo Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here on the WZWA Network. I am your host with the most here on the West Coast, California, in theory. It is great to be with you once again. You know, wrestling isn't just about the wrestlers. It's about other people connected to the wrestling business, people that do other things in the wrestling business. Even if it's really on the outskirts of being inside the actual business, it's still just as important as what goes on in the actual business. And we're speaking to one of those people here today. This guy is an author. He has helped several guys write books and tell their story in their time in professional wrestling. He's got a podcast. He's a man of many different things. And I'm looking forward to learning about him here today. He is the one and only wrestling historian himself, the one and only Ross Owen Williams. Ross, welcome to the show.
0: What an introduction. Thank you so much, Carla. That's very much appreciated. And thank you for having me.
1: No worries, bro. And um, uh, before I throw it to Jack, I just want to thank you again for being the bridge between us and hardcore Bob Holly. I had no way of finding out how to contact him. I found out that you wrote the book with him, the hardcore truth. I sent you an email and immediately you helped me out. You didn't know me from anyone. And it, it, we really, me and Jack really appreciate the fact that you helped us get in touch.
0: All it takes is some minor flattery, and I'm anybody's, frankly. So you just <laughs> saying, hey, I like the book. Hey, i do anything for anybody who likes any of the books I've written. So that's all good. Cool. Thanks, bro. Um, and
1: over to you, Jack, for our first round of questions with Ross Owen-Williams. So as per usual,
2: um, with every guest we have on the podcast, the first question is always, how you became a wrestling fan? Uh, what, what, what was it in, in your life that uh, sort of... Well, what moment was it the wrestling bug beat
0: you? It was my dad's fault. And it's something I think he regrets to this day. Uh, because back in the UK, when Sky TV started coming in in the very late 80s, then we got a, a Sky dish and they had the TV shows on the Simpsons and all the new stuff. Uh, certainly before that. Anybody in the UK would tell you there were four channels that was your lot. Suddenly we were open to another ten, twelve channels, and the kids these days wouldn't comprehend how big of a deal it was to have more than ten channels. Where the you know these days of course million channels, everything on demand, stick your own stuff on YouTube. But back then, ten extra channels, real bonus. And the there were adverts that would play regularly to advertise. A special event coming up soon, broadcast on Sky One or Sky Sports, whatever it was at the time. And it was the WWF from the London Arena or from a Docklands Arena. I can't remember what it was exactly, but there was a, a special coming up in the UK. And I'd never seen anything like this before. All I knew about wrestling was it was usually fat blokes in singlets hitting each other with their bellies, which was british wrestling that's giant haystacks and big daddy and looking back at it as a historian now i can see that there were other people like rollerball rocco and william regal who was working with steve regal around at that point who were actually doing the wrestling at that point but all the british public knew was that this big fat bloke big daddy would come out shout easy easy and then hit people with his gut and that was what they came to see that was the big boot and the leg drop for britain all right, very sad. It made Hogan look athletic, frankly, but that was what we had at that point. But this advert comes up, and it's very um, glitz, it's glamour, it's colours, it's uh, advertising a match between uh, the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan on British soil. And I'm thinking, wow, I've never seen this before. And my dad says, hey, that looks so interesting. Should we watch that? So we watched it together. I absolutely loved it. Was completely hooked. Uh, immediately and it became almost obsessionate within uh, within weeks of having realized i could get this on a weekly basis with wwf superstars my dad didn't really like the show so much and uh, i think forevermore rolled his eyes every time wrestling comes up and uh, when i told him years later i'm gonna try this in ring thing he was like really must you like, yeah it's something i gotta do but uh, he's, he's come around as in his dotage as he gets older and older. I think he is a little bit proud of some of the things that I've achieved in that world. But certainly when I was a teenager, it was like, uh, all right, you're watching guys in spandex covered in baby oil. What's wrong with you?
1: That's it. Yeah. I think it's quite funny when, because, um, you know, my dad was the same when I said to him, well, I wanted to be a wrestler and all this stuff. And yeah. I like the the moment that George Costanza and Seinfeld says, you know, you should have seen the look of my father's face when I said to him, I wanted to be a ventriloquist. It's kind of like the same <laughs> thing, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the disappointment in their eyes that this is the thing that that you want to do. Uh, it's
0: not a career that you would look at as one that would be <laughs> stable and it, it was one of those things that when i told dad i was gonna do it at this point i was i joined um i started training when i was almost 30 in fact when i just turned 30 so it, it was very late in the day but i was under no allusions to the fact that i was going to go to wwe and wrestle in wrestlemania i, I knew that wasn't going to be what it was going to be for me because I'm not an athlete and never have been an athlete, but it was something on my bucket list that I wanted to do. And I did it and I'm happy with what I did in it. Uh, And I think as much as I might've said, well, I could have done this extra. I would have liked to have done that as well. The fact that uh, in just three years of doing it, I managed to quite spectacularly tear my ACL and my medial meniscus in my left knee to the point where I still feel that today. And sometimes my knee just dislocates for no reason. At the worst of times, then uh, I think probably I did call it a day at the best time. Right. I see. In my some, research, some people drops... haven't got the some people haven't got the frames to be able to deal with that one. <laughs> can I can understand
1: that? Um, in my research, I didn't actually know that you did wrestle, uh, over in the UK. Um, yep. before we move on, Jack, I, sure. I actually am interested to learn a little bit about your experience in 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 wrestling and. Um, and yeah, just tell us about your fondest memories of all that time period.
0: Of the beginning bit of, of when I was a, a fan in the uh, oh, just, just as when you actually became a wrestler. Oh, okay. So we're t- we're going back to two thousand nine, two thousand ten. The highlight would be working with Bob, and I think that was where I won him over because before that he thought I could do a decent promo, but I suspect he didn't think I could. Uh, he didn't. Uh, he didn't know whether I could keep up in the ring and whilst athletically I certainly couldn't keep up with, with him or, or with the others um, with anybody really the fact is I think I impressed him with the fact that I was where he, I was where he needed me to be I didn't bitch and moan when he worked snug with me and I thanked him afterwards despite the fact that he chopped my chest raw. and it was a great experience I loved working with Bob uh I you know it's I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say, "Hey, I'm a I'm a tough guy" because I'm not a tough guy. But I didn't. Uh, I took what Bob gave me, and it was fine. You know, I've heard some people whine about working with people who work a little tight or a little snug, and uh, it didn't bother me. Excellent, bro. Back to you, Jack. Awesome. So, uh, what were some of your favorite memory
2: uh, or memories of wrestling? Sort of growing up. I mean, you sort of uh, went over. Uh, The early days of your dad, but uh, sort of at your peak fandom, what were your uh, sort of your favorite memories uh, when you
0: were watching wrestling? Early 90s, I liked the, I I think the 90s get a a bad deal when you look back. And I think there are a, a lot of gimmick led things. Certainly mid 90s, when you suddenly, if you look at Rumble 95 and you've got Mantar, Uh, and you've got uh, a bin man and you've got uh, a hog farmer and you've got all these people who had second jobs. (laughs) (laughs) You do start start to think, okay, obviously you're not making ends meet in your main job. So, you know, we're we're dealing with the second, the the rejects of various industries, but I still did like that, uh, the easily definable characters. And I think that's something that's missing these days in that back then, if you look, I'll give you a great example. Um, Mike Rotunda, IRS. Okay. Now, was he an exciting in-ring performer? Not especially. He occasionally left his feet, but he was incredibly sturdy. He was obviously incredibly good at what he did uh, and he knew what he was doing and he knew that character and you never saw him break that character. And then you bring it to the modern day and it's a great link here. You go to his son. And his son is on screen playing this terrifying entity who is completely uh, discombobulated, no idea what's going on. I'm talking about Bray. Just making sure you yeah. don't think I'm talking about Bo here. Even though, <laughs> you know yeah. you could probably, do. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. But then you've got Bray going on Twitter and showing pictures of his baby,
1: mm.
0: and it, it's for me. I don't like that. I like that suspension, the willing suspension of disbelief. I think if you're going to play a character for all the time, you've got to be that you've got to commit to that one. That's where Jericho got it right in 2008, where he said, take away everything from my character that is cheerable. I want to be detestable. I don't want any merchandise sold. It's where the undertaker throughout his career was like, I'm not even turning up at the hall of fame. Uh, Things like that. I really like that. I like that in the early nineties, you had that commitment for me. I think some of the highest points were as a fan uh, most of the things connected to Bret Hart. I was a huge Bret Hart fan yeah. and the realization that he, cause I always expected when you had the big guys in the main event, your warrior, your Sid, your Hulk Hogan, then that was what I thought was a main event guy when I first came in. Cause I didn't know it, it could be anything else when flair came across, I thought smaller guy, but fancy robes. I couldn't, grasp the thought that brett would even be the intercontinental champion so when he yeah. won that belt off mr perfect at SummerSlam 91 then i was over the moon and i can still remember coming home from school one day in 92 and turning the show on and i'd get home so late from school because i was at a, a boarding school and I, I wouldn't get home until like nine o'clock at night very often um i wasn't boarding there but i in, in for a day out for a day and uh, you get back and turn the tv on we're half an hour into the wrestling show so i catch the last half hour and the commentators are alluding to a new world champion and i'm thinking but title changes don't happen unless they're on big events like SummerSlam yeah. or wrestlemania and i'm thinking so flair lost the title who did he lose the title to and then moments later brett's name is thrown into the conversation and <laughs> oh, i'm thinking shit. i'm thinking but who beat rick flair because it couldn't have been Brett. And then Brett comes out with a belt over his shoulder. I'm thinking, no. Uh, yeah. Oh, for DVR at that point. to Be able to run it back and just check it. Yeah, it was, Those were the days where you could watch a match and with your, your heart in your throat and be yeah. excited because yes. you didn't know what the result was going to be. Yes. Now you can um, see maybe, it a
1: mile away. Maybe, you can see everything coming a while, mile away. You know that this person is about to win the belt. You know it.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if it's because of the proliferation of Dave Meltzer and a million websites and podcasts, you know, yourselves notwithstanding. Uh, and me notwithstanding. But I don't know whether it's because the curtain's been pulled back so much now that we watch it with a detached cynicism now that we didn't used to have. Or maybe it's just as we get older we understand the mechanisms and the storytelling a lot more so we can see what's coming next. But I don't know that, I think it's a combination of all these things and I don't think you'll ever be able to recapture that feeling of how it was individually for you at an age where you were young enough to really buy into it, um, old enough to understand that what you were watching wasn't legitimate violence Um, and two people legitimately trying to hurt each other, but you could get, but you could still buy into it like your favorite sports teams uh, in a way that I don't think you can so much right now.
1: Agreed. Absolutely, man. Totally in agreement there.
2: And that's a couple of points I actually wanted to go back to was, uh, so that's something you said earlier. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I find it harder to actually become emotionally attached to a wrestler now because they've got no personality because they're just another wrestler. Mm -hmm. Um, back in the day everyone had so many different wild gimmicks and characters and I know in the late 90s that all that stuff got stale and everyone became just another wrestler but um, I feel like in this day and age it might actually be needed to actually wind back the clock a little bit and maybe start bringing in more goofy characters because I feel like in this day and age comedy and wrestling is becoming more prevalent than ever with all the stupid Mm -hmm. stuff especially stuff AEW is doing Um, you would probably agree with how Mm -hmm. stupid it is (laughs) even though I like AEW but um. I, yeah, though, I just feel like wrestling these days just needs a bit more, needs a bit more color. Um, yeah,
0: I agree with you. And I think there are some characters or there's some people who really get it. I think just by looking at their performances, very often you can see who really gets it and the other people who don't get it so much. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples from what I'm seeing, right? And I don't know whether it's them or whether it's the promotion or whatever it is, Seth Rollins, okay? And I'm probably going to win no fans saying this, but Seth, uh, I still feel like he doesn't know what he is, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that he is a, he's, he naturally comes off as a heel. His character exudes heel. Just, that's just how he comes off. And yet he's got a, you can't boo him because he's so good at what he does. But then he gets in the ring, does all these flashy, incredible moves, and he's incredible at what he does. But you can't cheer him because he's dick. And he's kind of like Bianca Belair hasn't found her place yet, in that you can't boo her because she's phenomenal at what she does in the ring. She's so impressive. I watched um, Survivor Series the other day, and she actually did something in that match. I can't remember what it was, but she did a couple of moves that I actually said – me, wow, out loud to nobody yeah. in the room. And I know I never do that anymore. I agree. Yeah, I just, I saw that too. yeah, dead impressed with her. And yet she comes out to the ring and she does everything she does until she starts wrestling is a heel. And then she starts wrestling and she's a baby face. So that yeah. perplexes me. Seth Rollins going back to him, a million different nicknames. None of them mean anything. Mm-hmm. They're not connected to anything. They're just stuff. And you go back a couple of years ago at WrestleMania, and he comes out. Uh, dressed as the Night King from Game of Thrones, right? He's got the <laughs> bl- the blue thing going on, the blue contact in, and he's everything on the graphic is all icy. And yeah. yet in the, of this, in the middle of this, his music shouts, burn it down. Hang on. Di- am I missing something? <laughs> Maybe we're going really ice and fire. I don't know. But there's too much of I'm going to do this because it's cool rather yeah. than I'm going to do this because it makes sense. Rhea Ripley is another good example. Uh, up to about a year ago, I was convinced Rhea was going to be the best women's wrestler of all time. I was so on board with this. Um, just because I saw a match with her in, um, in NXT. She worked with uh, Casey Cassanzaro, And everything Rhea did was so on point, to the point where she did a simple suplex, and then she covered... Uh, Casey in such a way that you could just see she was looking at the camera counting along because she expected her suplex to get three and for me what a heel character that is that well of course she's not going to kick out whereas people just usually cover the other person kicks out and then they get on with the rest of the match it's part of a sequence yeah. and to me that, that's not telling the story if you're going to yeah. go for a cover you should only go for a cover if you are convinced you've done enough to put that person away or you're trying to squeak one out but you don't go for a a cover after a suplex expecting the other person to kick out. That doesn't make any logical sense. But I thought she was brilliant in that regard, but then she comes up and she works in the main roster and suddenly she's wearing white and light blue and she's putting contacts in, which don't make it. It's just stuff for the sake of stuff. And it's not, not knocking Rhea because she's a phenomenal athlete and I think she could still be brilliant, but I just felt like she was there and then she's just taken a step backwards um, but I'll flip it and talk positively rather than just burying people because I don't, I don't like to. Bur- I'm not trying to bury people. I'm just observing as a fan here. Yeah. The person who has impressed me the most over this last year, and I am, if if I was going to put wrestler of the year, if it was all up to me, and I would got say wrestler of the year, and I'd be curious to know what you guys would say on this one um, for 2020. Who would you say is is wrestler of the year? Randy Orton.
1: Oh, okay, man. I think I think Orton's doing a really good job. That's all. Um, Orton's amazing.
0: He uh, again, he's a guy who get who gets what he is.
1: Like I'm just thinking, like man, at this stage of the game, and now he's it's, he's actually getting better than he. <laughs> I just I just think he's doing a really good job. Yeah,
0: he's so he's so good. What um, are you, Jack?
1: Orton has. I never liked
2: Orton growing up. I didn't like Orton as a teenager. But the fact that i now like Orton now says a lot about him and his work. Because I used to yeah. think he was slow and boring and all that sort of stuff. Uh, whereas these days, he still wrestles much the same. But for some reason, it's just so much more exciting. I'm not sure mm. why. So Orton would be one of them. But I'd also say Drew McIntyre. But I feel like he's had a bit of a weaker second half of the year. Um, his first half was red hot. And if I was going to base off uh, just the first half, I'm going to say hands down Drew. But Drew, Drew's lost me a little bit over the last couple of months. So
1: And he's be- good as the material written for you, I think, sometimes. <laughs> exactly right, man. <laughs> well-
0: I don't know, Sometimes you've got to take, uh, take shit and turn it into Shinola, as Al often tells me. So Drew, I'm with you. Drew had a fantastic start to the year, and I love that Drew's come into his own in just doing little things like those interactions with the camera where he'll give the camera a wink and you feel, you know, this is, he's a big dude and, but I can still relate to him as a guy, you know, even yeah. though he looks like an underwear model, then you look at him and you just think, that's a dude I'd have a beer with and yeah. i i think he's got that salt of the earth i you know i like this guy i want to cheer this guy um there's none of this like when Shawn michaels was a baby face it was so hard to cheer him when he was in his 30s because you just thought what a dick um <laughs> and and even when he was trying to be likable then it was so hard for him to do that drew seems completely the opposite in that he just doesn't seem to be able to be dislikable right now. And I, he's, he's doing so well. I'm really impressed with him. And he would be probably my pick for the male of the year. But the best wrestler of the year is Bailey. Mm, interesting. And she has been a revelation to me this year. Everything I've never had uh, in, what, 30-odd years of being a wrestling fan. It's never been that my favorite wrestler is a woman. And I realized this the other day when I was watching Survivor Series and she came out and I found myself just watching her coming out and thinking, oh my God, my favorite wrestler is Bailey," And yeah. I, I loved her in NXT with, the, with that gimmick with uh, the, all the, the, the little girls yeah, wanting yeah. to emulate, cetera, the ponytail gimmick. But everything that she's done this year is so precise. Everything she's done this year is so in character her in-ring work, you cannot knock. She is where she needs to be at all times. Her reactions are spot on. She has transformed herself so completely from what she was into what she is. Everything so believable and credible and consistent that you can explain her and you can understand her and her motivation so quickly. And what first took me was at WrestleMania where they had a silent arena and... The commentators are talking like she says something along the lines of, uh, she nearly got her. And as Bailey was rolling at the rig, Bailey shouted, no, they didn't. And I just <laughs> thought yeah. that was so incredible that she understood, she got it. She just gets it. So I've been so impressed with her taking what could have been a dead end character when they transformed her. It could have been the death knell. You look at, um, what's her name? Emma um, to Neil Dashwood yeah yeah and they gave her this new character that she just couldn't handle yeah and i don't know why because it didn't seem to me a complicated character but she wasn't comfortable in it so i think it's a case of when you go back to the 90s uh i'll give you an example of shane douglas and happy playing the franchise in ecw bring him to wwe stick him in the dean douglas gimmick and he tanked absolutely tanked and I don't know why, because that gimmick to me wasn't a hard gimmick to pull off. But I think it's, if your heart's not in
1: something, it's going to be, it. yeah,
0: but you've got to throw your heart into it. And as Bob told you, then he threw his heart into the sparky plug character and he gave it his best shot yeah. until, until somebody said, hang on, this guy's trying his best here. Let's, let's try something else. But if what you're going to do is go in and half ass something, cause you don't really go for it. Why would they give you anything else? They want to they invest in the people that are going to try and do the best with what they got. Prime example being Glenn Jacobs, who threw his all into Isaac Yankum, crappy gimmick that it was, and then threw his all into the fake Diesel gimmick. And look at this, fake Diesel, fake Razor. Fake Diesel got over. Fake Diesel was actually getting over, and fake Razor wasn't. You look at the Rumble in 97, Bogner comes out, booed out of the arena, thrown out in seconds. Jacobs comes out and people are like, okay, we can buy this guy. He's not diesel, but we can buy this guy ends up in the final three. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) no
1: great some great insight there ross thank you for that um that was awesome i'm sorry i'm just
0: going off on a massive tangent here that's fine no trust me i should point out you you did start off by saying good afternoon but for me it's morning so i'm caffeinated (laughs) and ready to go (laughs) (laughs) but like jack i can already see
1: right now we should definitely get ross on uh, more shows in the future to talk more about wrestling because i really enjoy the insight so um definitely that's great um i'm sorry for rambling so much That's fine, bro. Um, We want to get back on track here, though, with (laughs) uh, a line of questioning about you uh, delving into being an author and helping some of these uh, professional wrestlers get their stories of uh, their life and the business out there. Um, So uh, how did you first gain an interest in writing and when did you realize that you were good at it?
0: Okay, so I still haven't realized I'm good at it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I put words I put words one after the other and people seem to like them Uh, I don't I I wrote from a fairly young age and as I I guess as I, I went through my drama degree then I found that I started tweaking the text more and more and but this would sound better like this and this would be better like this and towards the end of my degree I decided in my infinite wisdom That for one of my final projects, rather than translating a foreign language scene into an English scene, because we were meant to translate something, I thought I'd translate an entire film out of the 60s into the 90s. So I translated era to era. So I rewrote My Fair Lady for the modern era. And that was pretty good fun. And I thought I enjoyed doing that. I'm quite good on paper. So it just kind of snowballed from there. And I wrote a couple of other screenplays, just toying with them in my 20s. And while I was running a business at that point, then it was a kind of on the on the side hobby. And running my own business, then rather than outsourcing all of the writing and all of the marketing material, I thought I'd do it myself and it worked pretty well. And one thing led to another. And eventually what happened is I when I sold that business, was engaged to remain on as a consultant and a, um, a PR person for the company that bought my company and write their press releases, write their entry forms. Uh, and It was then I realized that while I'm not going to say I'm the, the best writer in the world, I'm a lot better than many, and a lot of people don't string words together so well on paper. So a chap like me with uh, above-average capability is above average as they say so we'll take that and uh yeah it just after the wrestling thing and i'm after bob then it got to a point where he and i got talking after we had our match and he realized that i could put words together and bang there you go hardcore truth all right so um the next question i want to ask is uh are you a
1: ghost writer Uh, and to those out there who don't exactly know what that entails please
0: enlighten them Okay. I'm not a ghostwriter. You're because not. My okay. Name, no, because my name's on all the books.
1: Okay. So if, if it wasn't on the book, that means, okay. Yeah. Now ghost,
0: write, ghost writer is if you are, I'm a co-author. Yeah. Okay. A ghost, a ghost writer would be if, um, like Brett's book, right? Okay. Uh, I'm, I don't believe Brett wrote it himself. I believe Brett had help in writing it, but I don't believe Brett put a credit for anybody else on his book. Uh, Jericho, he's got, I think it's Keith Elliott Greenberg. Is it? Ke- I don't know. I don't think it is. Um, I, forget who, I forget who Jericho's, it'll come to me in a minute, but uh, Jericho has the name on all of the books. Foley wrote his own completely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Foley, yeah, but Brett there, ghostwriter, I believe behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, co-author, person who writes with the person. However, I think the key thing when you are writing, an autobiography with somebody is you've got to write their voice and the reader can't read your voice. And that's been quite an interesting challenge for me, given that now you're listening to my voice. You probably can't hear too much Bob Holly and you probably can't hear too much Al Snow. and You definitely can't hear any Hornswoggle because I haven't sworn once yet. <laughs> Good point. Um, over to you, Jack.
2: Sure. Uh, So as a writer, when you are doing someone's uh, autobiography, what are the first steps in the planning process before the first interview?
0: Rapport. Uh, It's all about rapport, setting expectations in advance as to what you're going to do and making sure you're aligned on the story that you want to tell. And for the three guys that I've worked with so far in wrestling books, they've all been really, Clear with me, and I've been really clear with them that we're going to pull no punches. That at the end of the day, we get it all out on paper, and then anything we want to take out, we can take out at the end. But they've been so giving of their time and so giving of honesty, and that's reflected in the final book. Um, But no secrets from each other on these. I've asked them some very hard questions, they've given me some very hard answers, and there have been things that we've gone back and said. Let's maybe keep that one to one side because that, that doesn't help the story, or that maybe buries somebody that we don't, we don't feel comfortable doing, whatever it might be. But I'll flip it around and tell you uh, about a book I've mentioned in other interviews that I was going to write at one point, and that was Vader's Autobiography. Oh. And I talked wow. with Leon. Yeah, I talked with Leon um, for an extended period of time. And in the end, he did do a book with Kenny Casanova. Kenny's a great guy, and uh, he did a great job with the book. But I'm kind of glad that that one fell apart when I was talking with Leon, because Leon couldn't, and I don't know if it changed later, but at the time when I got talking to Leon, he couldn't separate the myth of Vader, world champion over three different continents, with the guy Leon white playing the role of Vader. And it was like, he was trying to work. He was trying to work me. He was trying to make me believe he was a legitimate world champion and he legitimately beat Nobuhiko Takada in a shoot fight. It's like, dude, I know that the UWFI was a work. All right. I get it. I know it's kind of shoot at points, but it's still a work at the end of the day. So we're not going to get very far if you're going to try and sell me, the writer, with lies that's we got to have yeah. transparency so that was a project where i was quite relieved when it all fell apart and it was quite frustrating trying to get that through to acceptance stage we got a long way we had an offer from wwe to publish it through them wow and, wow and in the end wwe and ecw press and uh, i all kind of just said this isn't going to work it's been so long and there are so many extra demands and then last minute this is changing <clears throat> that's changing the other's changing so when i heard that leon uh, was doing all those indie appearances a few years ago and changing things on will osprey last minute and zach sabre i think uh, was it will or, or was, i don't know if it was will osprey or zach sabre i think it was it, will yeah. yeah um i wasn't surprised to hear last minute alterations in plans um which is a real shame because I, i've always been a you give your word and you word your bond and that's how I work with Al and Dylan and Bob. You know, you take their, their, their handshakes gold, their words gold, you take them to the bank. And I think that's the rapport you build at the beginning. Uh, then everything flows from there. And once you've got that understanding of what you both want to achieve out of the process, the rest just falls into place. I think it helped also um, with all three of them that I had wrestled because firstly, they they knew as a fan myself that they weren't going to have to go back and explain things to me like you would with an author who doesn't know wrestling. So they don't have to explain what a pay-per-view is called. or they don't have to explain what a move does. So I'm going to just know that naturally. And I'm going to remind them of things that they might have forgotten about their own career because I've watched them. But also the fact that I've stepped between the ropes, I've taken some bumps, I've jumped off the ropes and I've injured myself in the light of, in the light of fire. Um, then I think that they've all respected the fact that I'm not just a guy who has watched. I'm a guy who actually got in the ring and took a few lumps. Um, And I think there's a sliver of respect on that. Just a sliver, we'll say.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Probably less from Bob because Bob wrestled me, so he knows how bad I suck.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, so again, uh, speaking of Bob, tell us a little bit more about your experience working with Bob on the book. Uh, t- talk to us about some of the days you've uh, spent with Bob um, actually, did you ever go on um, out, out into the wild with him because I know that he talks a lot about that with <laughs>
1: Did
0: you ever I have one of those days with I would not go in the wild with Bob if you paid me a million dollars because I would come back without my skin i 'm cutting co- nose. <laughs> Bob is contrary to what some have reported some keyboard warriors have reported Bob is an absolute peach he's a delight he's a lovely he's, guy he's, he's so thoughtful so considerate uh, so respectful and so genuine and you know where you stand with him and I think that's what some people can't cope with but he's, he's hardcore he's straight down the line and uh, you no know, I've avoided going on safari <laughs> with him uh, being in the ring with him was enough, uh, yeah. but he, he's a hell of a trainer uh, as a, as a wrestling trainer, hell of a trainer knows what he's doing. And working on the book with him was uh great fun. Just, just a really great chapter in my life was all the interviews we were doing.
2: Yeah. Awesome. He's uh, he's great. And, you know, I see, I, when I see a lot of people criticize him, I just think, you know, these people don't know him. They've never spoken to him. Yeah, just... They don't
1: know shit. They just, they just yeah. watched a few episodes of Tough Enough and came to some yeah. conclusions.
0: Well, just, that's it. Know. People just leave to that. You want to see the funny side of Bob. I did a short film with him a number <laughs> of years ago, right? <laughs> Honestly, and if you, if you go and ch- check this out on YouTube, it's called Thanks for Reading. If you check out my YouTube channel, Ross Owen Williams, and, really you ch- and you check out Thanks for okay. Reading, and it's a short film that Bob and I shot. And the camera, work, we had a bit of an issue with the, um, the, the person doing the camera, not managing to wipe the lens before, oh. he, started ca- before he started filming, which was great. So Bob and I did, um, I scripted it, and then Bob did a lot of improv on the day. And you wouldn't believe how funny Bob actually is until you see this. So go check <laughs> it out. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah, I'm going to watch
1: that out. straight after this. <laughs>
2: Uh, from Bob to Al Snow with his book uh, "Self Help: Life Lessons from the yep. Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow." <laughs> uh, Al's a very intelligent man, as we found. Uh, oh yes, dude. Yeah. I, you know, I thought I knew a lot about wrestling, and then I fucking spoke to Al Snow, and he made me feel like it was. It's like my yep. first day being a, a novice. Yeah, yep.
0: <laughs> uh, Al is a dictionary. He's a thesaurus. He's an encyclopedia. Uh, working with him must
2: have been quite the experience. So, how was that whole process with Al? um, how much did you learn from Al, and how? Uh,
0: Oh, so much. So, uh, I wish I had had a chance to talk with Al before I did wrestling. And looking back at what I did, even now, 10 years later on, I can look back at moments that I had in the ring or things that I did in front of an audience that now I would do completely differently just simply because of the conversations I had with Al. Uh, He understands this at such a level of depth that it's no wonder that he has become the success that he has after his in-ring career has, has wound down. And in talking to Al, it's quite funny because he, he learned these as he was going. And it's quite funny because he was blinkered by that want to have a good match and be a, a great performer and, and um, keep the audience on the edge of their seats. And that ultimately cost him, I think. And he, I think he knows this, that uh, during his career, there were times when he should have just made himself a star rather than having a good match. But Al was about having a good match. But now the situation is in with owning OVW and doing such a great job with that to, to keep bringing that up. And the production values of what he's doing is so superb. And the episodic TV, absolutely brilliant. And as a trainer, par excellence, second to none. He's absolutely outstanding.
2: Uh, he is so valuable to the wrestling business. I truly believe he is the backbone of professional wrestling.
0: And, oh, and, and a great guy as well. It's just Again, I can't stress this enough. Uh, such, a, such a good guy. Genuine, considerate. Uh, and the funny thing is that there'll be people that I know in my local area that I would count as friends. And I won't get a happy birthday from them. But I'll get a happy birthday from Bob Holly. I'll get a Merry Christmas text from Al Snow. You know, I get just out of nowhere. It's it's not they don't need anything or want anything from me. They just occasionally reach out. And they're both very lucky men because they've got fantastic wives who pretty much man the shop to make sure that the communication stays open. So Linda and Jess are just superb. Uh, and, <laughs> and I think they both know how lucky they are on that front.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Over to you, Carl. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I, I must say uh, Linda was extremely helpful in... Um, our negotiations are getting the interview sorted out. So a uh, big shout out to Linda. and um, very helpful
0: at reminding Bob what films he likes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that was> <laughs> and um,
1: alcoholic beverage. Yes. Um, so over to Swoggle, the one and only horn Swoggle. Um, yeah. Life is short and so am I. The wrestling journey of Dylan Swoggle Postal. I guess that's how you pronounce the surname.
0: Postal. 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 Postal.
1: Yeah. Um, so I mean, I don't know uh how you went from Bob to Al. I, I assume it was Bob first, Al second, Swoggle third. Um Correct, yes. I, I'm I'm assuming maybe you got into contact with Al because of Bob. Um or yes. yep. Um so Swoggle is not really a, a connection that you would consider no. with Al or <laughs> yeah. Bob. So how did you come into contact with our foul mouthed favorite? <laughs> it was uh it
0: was like an RKO it came out of nowhere I wasn't it wasn't anything I expected to work on what happened is Ian Douglas was working on a book with Dylan and it was they'd got a first draft together and it was very good excuse me it was very good and it was firing on about four out of five cylinders or six out of eight, however many cylinders you want to say it was firing on. It just needed a little something extra. And it was ECW Press. Um, and they got in touch with me and said, hey, could you have a look at this? And I took what Ian had done, which was pretty much mostly there. And I applied a couple of different questioning techniques and uh, adjusted a few things. And I re-interviewed Dylan, uh, not to take away from what Ian had done, but to deepen certain things. Right. Yep. And it it was I think because of the um, the challenges that Dylan went through as a young lad dealing with achondroplasia, like he has, and all those challenges, there was a um, a greater depth needed um and i'm not saying that ian couldn't or didn't do that but it was a more complex book dare i say than al's or bob's which were different retellings i mean bob's is a straight retelling of his career of what he did and what he saw al's is um at points as you've seen an advisory book in in life lessons along the way and a yeah. lot of road stories um but dylan has been through a a, a physical journey an emotional journey as a young dad as well that I think very few can relate to. So certainly the, the, um, the, the little person angle is something that benefited, I think, from a second interviewer to add depth because Ian asked questions that I wouldn't have thought of. I asked questions that Ian wouldn't have thought of. So it all came together and I think it was stronger uh, for what we did together. It wouldn't have been without Ian being involved. It wouldn't have been the same book without me being involved. It wouldn't have been the same book. And without Dylan involved, uh, Ian and I would have just had a shit book, frankly. So, you know, there you
1: go. <laughs> exactly. oh, that, that, that is very interesting. Um, you know, and it kind of makes me think to, um, you know, sometimes I watch an interview. And I wish that this guy asked a different question or Or, or delved into something a little deeper, you know, and I get so frustrated because I'm like, man, I wish I had the chance to be in the interviewer's seat for that interview because I know I would have got more out of, let's say, a Vince Russo when talking about this specific guy and they would have just brushed past the topic because the host wasn't asking the correct question line of questioning that's it you always going to get that, that spicy little bit of information yeah. that might have yeah, just popped yeah, yeah. in vince's head if you got to that line of questioning
0: i know it's so frustrating i get this even when i'm listening to conrad and bruce 100 100 about- a- i get oh,
1: so God. mad at conrad all the time Back oh, i love conrad when he, when he first so, started he's so good He was great, but sometimes later on, I'm like, "God, you're skimming through it a little bit, bro. I'll need that little bit more of information." I think the thing
0: is because they they try and deal with, they got a three hour episode, but they deal with so they deal with an entire career in that time, or an entire whatever it might be they do in that time that you're going to miss certain things, but you do get those moments where it's like, dude, just there's this, it's right there. Ask the was, question. Oh, no. Right oh God. <laughs> yeah. And we're back. And we're back to impressions of dusty roads. All right. <laughs> which, are, gets... which, are, which are very good.
1: <laughs> They're fantastic. Yeah. Although I think I'd prefer the Jim Cornet impressions most. Uh, God mother damn. Fucker, God damn. Yeah. Uh-huh. Double cheese,
0: double onion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, So uh, the next question I had was, you know, how have ECW Press been to work with? That's something that I'm interested in learning a little bit about. Um, They seem to be quite big on on the autobiographies.
0: Yeah, they are are so good at what they do. The team there are so... um, Yeah, you can't fault them. Everybody there... Michael Holmes is the 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 point man if you will on all wrestling books there and he's a great guy I had a chance to have a beer with him a few years ago when he was over in um, in England at a golf course for some reason it just happened to be about five miles up the road from where I was living at the point so we just hung out and had a couple of beers together but he is he knows his stuff he's also a fan so he can talk wrestling with you and uh, he knows he knows enough about the industry, and there's plenty about the industry, so it's not like he's just looking at it from the publishing point of view, but everybody else there is is brilliant from the design to the layout to the editing. Um, you know, Jen Albert's fantastic. Eamon's brilliant. David Karen um, behind the scenes. Everybody there has been so easy to work with and so inclusive to the point that I'm, and have I have been afforded, Uh, inclusion into the edit on all books and in fact the point where I pretty much have had final sign off on so many things it's very rare that they say we're going to override you on this thing because we don't think that needs to go in so for me the process has been write rewrite edit re-edit and goes round and round. but I've also had um, serious say in the cover art which I think is something that you don't often get uh especially with companies who are looking to do this about a sportsman bob's book uh, they gave me a few examples we went with it al's book then that kind of caged look um i can't remember where that came i'm i'm confident i had something to do with that quite a major thing to do with that one um the idea of dylan in the ring with him under the ring that was my idea and i was really pleased that we went with that one yeah but the the fact that we and ECW not only allowed, but encouraged us to be involved in every single aspect of the process. Uh, it was, was brilliant. And I, I cannot thank them enough for how accommodating and professional they've been throughout. Awesome. Absolutely,
1: bro. Um, I just thought it was in, important to mention ECW press. hundred uh, percent. They are, they are quite prevalent in, uh, the wrestling autobiography industry. Um, over to you jack sure what was uh
2: what have you learned most uh through uh helping writing these books
0: wow never been asked that question before what have i learned the most oh got you thinking you you did get me thinking can i come back to you on that one can can i come back maybe a couple questions i'll set i'll get the hamster running in the wheel and we'll see what comes back off that one in a minute otherwise there's just a lot of silence Um,
2: this one may help a little bit. Uh, Is there anybody else you would like to work on a book with Uh, anyone
0: in in particular that uh, might be a good idea? Yeah. uh, Whether or not I'd actually ever get them. Uh, uh, I think the obvious ones are obvious. Yeah. If, if Randy knocks on my door and says, Hey Ross, do you want to, yeah, uh, Randy, give it a go. Uh, you know, but putting aside the, the people, you know, putting aside the triple H's, the John Cena's, the undertakers and, putting aside those guys, then I think Seamus has got a very good story to tell. Mm, uh, so. I'd love, I'd love to work with Christian. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. that would be I think, great. I think Jay's got an incredible story. Yes. Um, and I've tried to reach out to him a couple of times and no dice yet. So fingers crossed at some point, uh, Kofi, when the time comes, uh, we're not there yet. But I've talked with Kofi, and um, hopefully that will one day come to pass. Um, I would say Nick Aldis. Yeah, because I think Nick is carving out a career. And we're a long way away from this, but a Nick, I, I would presume Nick will write his own in time because Nick's a very clever chap, and he's written a book already, uh, a bodybuilding book, uh, and a health and fitness book, and. Yeah, Nick's a, Nick's a guy I worked with as well, actually, during my brief run. And I, uh, I had a particularly harsh wedgie from him in a, ba- <laughs> in a battle royal at one point. So, yeah, but Nick's a, Nick's a fantastic guy. And I can't understand why WWE haven't had him yet.
1: Oh, makes no sense to me, but I think he's doing quite all right right
0: now. He's, <laughs> he looks, he's uh, definitely doing okay. Like he looks.
1: You know, who, you know who I think would be great? Stop. Steve Bunkman. Steve Blackman. Ugh.
0: Blackman, no, Please. no. I would be terrified to work with Blackman because if I wrote, if I put a semicolon in the wrong place, that'd be the last you'd hear of me. <laughs> 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 Could be a fair
2: point. I, I think Steve Blackman's <laughs> it, writing a book would probably be the most one of the most incredible things i'd ever read uh I well you know
1: he had malaria all those years and yeah. you know, he was in the wwe in the early 90s when he was jacked and then he came back and now he's like you know a bounty, a guy the, a bounty hunter and all <laughs> well, that this I mean, crazy he, man he, yeah so yeah. well, the <laughs> thing is the
0: stories when it comes to a book steve blackman doesn't read books he just stares them down until they give him the information he wants
2: And <laughs> people think they know like you know they all want to make those jokes about Chuck Norris, but they haven't missed It's just because they don't no. know Steve Blackman. So. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Chuck, yeah. Chuck Norris checks his, checks his under his bed for Steve Blackman. <laughs> exactly. That's um, how it goes.
2: <laughs> uh, are we able to get back to that question about what you've learned most or is it still just?
0: Yeah, no, I've, I think I've learned that sometimes you just got to put yourself out there. Mm. And that what these guys did and how these guys succeeded was by just saying, screw it, here we go, let's go. And the respect that each of them has gained in the industry has come from turning up reliably and doing what is asked of them. And you couldn't call any of the three main eventers But you could certainly say they've each carved their niche in wrestling history. As far as I'm concerned, all three of them are Hall of Famous. Yeah. For all different reasons. You know, you cannot argue. You can't argue Al Snow. You can't argue Bob Holly. And some might try and argue Dylan, but I ask you, has there ever been a bigger little person in wrestling? Certainly in modern wrestling. Never. Exactly. And actually he's still doing now with with his um, with his ACW promotion, running a promotion in Wisconsin. You know he's still contributing to the wrestling industry. Um, you know, and and okay, give you the example of him turning up recently on AEW in diapers, right? <laughs> he get he gets it. He understands. It's just some silly shit on TV sometimes. And you turn up and you don't take yourself too seriously, and you do what you're asked to do, and you cash check and you go home. You know, and for me, realizing that all the life lessons I've learned from, especially from Bob and from Al. But even learning life lessons from Dylan and fighting against the adversity that he's fought against his entire life and then just saying, I, I'm going to do this. This is no plan B. I'm just going to do this. And so I've applied that a lot more to my writing. And certainly that's when it, my film stuff started to come together and it's coming together more and more now. Uh, and my radio stuff that I'm doing is just, right, Let's let's do this. And either people will accept me or they will reject me. But if I don't try, then... I can guarantee there will be no acceptance because there's nothing to accept. So if you don't play the game, you ain't getting anywhere.
2: Yeah, that's it, man. Just gotta sort of get it, get it all out there, and sort of, uh, you know, no one's gonna, no one's gonna come finding you. You gotta, you gotta put yourself out there, get the word out yourself. That's it. And it's,
0: it's a lesson I wish I had learned or been prepared to take. I guess I knew it at the back of my mind, but in my twenties, then. Who knows what would have been different, but I, it was a different world because YouTube wasn't a thing back yeah. then. So it was a lot harder to get noticed when YouTube wasn't a thing. Um, it, everything kind of changed overnight. And I was just at that cusp where I was getting to the age where I felt like I was credible to be noticed in my late 20s. Then YouTube came along and allowed 16-year-olds to get noticed. It was like, dude, what, where were you five years ago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I had I had YouTube growing up, man. So I've uh, sort of always been uh, always been on there, trying, trying yeah, to figure it, find, yeah. figure
0: out ways you can get
2: yourself it's a out. It's different. There.
0: It is. It's so it's so different. And it's um, you look back and you think about what your parents must have thought about certain things that you took for granted as a kid, and no doubt one day when you've got teenage kids of your own, then. They'll do things like my teenage daughter does right now. And I'll look at it and I'll say things to her about, you know, how much time she spends on her phone and this, that, the other. And uh, then I'll hear my dad's voice talking back to me. And I realise that I've suddenly become him, <laughs> which no bad thing. Cause I love my dad and he's great. So, you know, that's no bad thing. I'll take that. Yeah. It's funny. Only, my he doesn't to... like, only he doesn't like wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> my, my
2: dad used to always uh, try to ramble on about me, always spending too much time on my phone, but now, uh, since he's gotten social media all I I'll just go downstairs and all I see is <laughs> just lying down. Oh yeah. 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 So oh, uh, it's me. funny the way life works. Um, sure is. Last thing, uh, tell us about your A to Z wrestling podcast. Uh, How did that come about and, um, just, yeah, tell us about it, man.
0: I did an interview about a year and a bit ago with a guy called Ryan Acra. Uh, believe great guy really good guy we had a great chat and at the end of that he said to the owners of the network hey this guy knows his stuff you should get him on he, he should be a host so I got chatting with the guys there and uh, a chap called Carlton was the the guy I dealt with initially I think he's moved on since and we started off the idea that I had was to select a different subject each week with the idea that then those podcasts would be evergreen because rather than doing something which was time-sensitive, let's talk about WrestleMania last week, and then a month later, it's not so relevant anymore. If we can talk about the best big guys in wrestling history or the people who should have won Royal Rumbles or the people who were never a world champion, these are things where, yeah, people will be added to those conversations in time, but those are not particularly time sensitive so they could be just as viable or just as good in a year as they are right now mm. and so that was that was where that idea came from and then the a to z was a nice function a to z i'm sounding american now the a to z was <laughs> a very good function a good framework for that and uh, right now i've had to take a hiatus on that one because of has led to a few complications the not the least of which is that with my three-year-old son having been off nursery for the last, um, or for much of this year, then all of my time has had to go into looking after him because my, my good lady works full time. So I've been dad, I've been full-time dad this year and that's one of the casualties. So in the new year, we'll see what happens and maybe we can pick that one up again. Excellent, bro. Excellent. Um, So I
1: just want to ask before we get to five-second frenzy, uh, if you have anything else in the pipeline or if there's anything you would like to plug, Ross Owen Williams, let
0: us know. Okay. Um, I would certainly like to plug the books, and we've talked about them at length already, but anybody who hasn't read Bob Holly's The Hardcore Truth, Al Snow's Self-Help, or Dylan Postel's Life is Short and So Am I, please do check them out. I think you'll find them uh straightforward engaging reads that hopefully capture the voice of the the people in question the subject in question i think they've each got their own merits and they do draw the curtain back on the industry so i think there's much to enjoy if you're a wrestling fan and i think also much to enjoy if you're not a wrestling fan because i've given these books to non-wrestling fans and they've enjoyed them as well um especially ours because there are so many funny stories in that one so I'd love to plug those. Also, the feature film Winter Ridge, which I believe is available on Amazon Prime or at least at the time of recording it was. And you can find this anywhere you do online. Uh, Winter Ridge, a film that I wrote, uh, didn't come out quite the way I expected when I wrote it because a few liberties were taken with the script between me signing off on it and then making it. So uh, I'll put my hand on my heart and say I think what I wrote was better than what ended up on the screen. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a writer who doesn't believe that. But uh, Dom, the director, did a good job in getting that through to the finished uh, product. And um, right now I'm working on a couple of other films, which I won't say too much about, but there's a mixed martial arts film that is at quite an early stage of development and a, a war film based around the Waterloo conflict in Europe, the Napoleonic Wars. And that's something that I've got to... A big meeting for tomorrow so fingers crossed watch this space
1: excellent bro Sounds um insane. so it is time for five second frenzy ross owen williams i'm sure you're
0: aware of the segment now if you watch yeah the whole- you do realize that me talking for five seconds on anything is a virtual impossibility <laughs> well we've, we've
1: noticed that with wrestlers too it takes longer <laughs>
0: to remember i anything. haven't gone on as long as al have i
1: <laughs> no no nah. Um, All right So five second frenzy Ross Owen Williams Your favorite wrestler of all time Bret Hart Nice I'm I'm, I'm changing things a little bit here Because
0: you know You're also an author So who is your favorite author? Dennis Wheatley Your favorite book you've ever read Strange Conflict by Dennis Wheatley Although I'd say I continually reread The Running Man by Stephen King Uh, I just finished reading it For the third time this year Yesterday (laughs) Uh, I don't know why It's just it's a very fast read. It's not like the film was at all. And it's, uh, there's more artistry to Stephen King's writing than people give him credit for. Uh, the older I get, the more I get into writing, the more I realize this guy's good. He's so good.
1: Absolutely. He is who he is for a he reason. Um, absolutely. The favorite wrestling match of all time that you've seen? Bret Hart versus Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13. Brilliant. Great decision there. Uh, your
0: favorite TV show? Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Um, (laughs) this will change quite regularly. Uh, I've been enjoying the great British bake-off recently. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You won't get that answer very often. I've been enjoying uh, that. Um, I've I've I've, game of Thrones and big fan of game of Thrones, um, scrubs, love scrubs and British comedy back from the eighties, Blackadder. Lovely. Lovely. Uh, favorite film. Life is beautiful. Favorite musical artist? Okay. Are we going old school or current day? <laughs> let's, I've let's, let's, go,
1: let's go a bit of both.
0: Okay. So if you want to go um, back in time, I've got a, a, a great deal of love for Seal. Love Seal.
1: Excellent.
0: Uh, Tori, Tori Amos, Enya, Beverly Craven, uh, Sarah McLaughlin. So a bit of a mixed bag there. And currently, I don't know why and how this has happened, but I really like Dua Lipa. Interesting. That's I know. Interesting. I d- I didn't see that happening, but I just really like Dua Lipa right now. That is a
2: very interesting answer.
0: That's that's you're disapproving, aren't you, Jack? <laughs> that was
2: just. I just wasn't expecting it. My, we, interesting we means shit. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> we, we get the. Uh, we always get the same answers for favorite musical artists, man. But they, that was just yeah. an interesting an interesting answer I wasn't expecting.
0: I'll go anywhere. You know, there's sometimes I'll listen to Metallica one minute, Metallica, Rammstein, Avenge Sevenfold. And then next minute, I'll listen to Mozart. So you, you can't yes. tell what's I feel going you. on. I feel yeah. you. Uh, Got favorite, to mix it up. Variety, Spice of Life. Favorite. Oh, Love speaking variety. of spice, uh, curry. I'll take curry. Yep. A lot favorite of Englishmen food. like a bit of curry. They do. Uh, favorite place to eat. Are we allowed to eat anywhere but our homes right now?
2: Ah, uh, I mean, we are. Not really right are you, you are, we're not. <laughs> we can do what around we the, want.
0: <laughs> Yeah, around the, around the back of a Nando's by the bin. I don't know. No uh, Favorite place to eat. Uh, there's a, a fantastic Italian restaurant uh, near where I live, which I haven't been to for so long now that I've probably forgotten the name of it. Oh. But it's, it's my local Italian and I love it. Lovely. Uh, your favourite alcoholic beverage? I would say that would be um, a Mer- either abbott ale or, yep. or uh, red wine merlot, in particular. Yes, nice. Very nice. Very nice. I wrote I wrote much of Bob's book with uh, the help of Merlot. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite female body part? Ah. Right. I, I came prepared for this, um, ready to, ready to objectify. Women. <laughs> no, um, eyes. We get eyes a lot. We do get eyes yeah. a lot.
1: Uh, and finally Ross Owen Williams, your favorite curse word.
0: Now this, this is difficult because I have a toddler. And because I have a toddler, I'm not allowed swear words right now. <laughs> and some of them, tend to slip out when I'm not expecting it. And the other day, I managed to squeeze an F and a C into my conversation in the car when I was observing that another driver was perhaps not as observant on the road as I was. Oh, and yeah. Then I realized that I was not observant at all because my boy was in the back seat. So that was bad news. But what really brought it home to me that I can't be swearing is even the lesser known swear word that I'm sure you guys have quite regularly is bloody in america not so much but uh you know bloody this bloody that fantastic okay i'm all for that great and i realized i was saying more than i thought when i was walking with my son through a field one day i had him on my shoulders and for whatever reason i started singing a frank sinatra song i don't know why but i was singing i've got you under my skin and rex my boy i said don't daddy daddy don't sing don't sing daddy don't sing and i carried on singing and he was and i was laughing daddy stop singing that bloody song (laughs) (laughs) this was before he was three so when you when your two-year-old tells you to stop singing that bloody song then you start thinking well maybe i've taught him the wrong language but i'm definitely doing the right thing by winding him up with my musical choices that's what dads do right
2: yeah Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, and they get on social media a lot, Jack. Isn't that right? Exactly. I mean,
2: <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd want my dad's music taste personally. I mean, some of it's all right, but yeah, I'm happy with mine, eh? Over his. <laughs> yep. Growing you up, wait, different you wait, t-
0: you wait till, well, that's it. You wait till when you've got kids uh, uh, in many years' time and they'll look at your music taste and you'll just think you listen to shit, son. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, man, I wonder what music will be like in 20 years. It's already pretty fucked up now. yeah well you think about this you think of the songs that are being released these days and as a radio presenter i think about this quite a lot then you hear so many songs these days and i think this song is is not even going to be remembered in six months and you go back to some of the songs from the 80s that still sound good even now yeah and i'm just wondering which artists that are relevant today will have the level of longevity of some of those acts you know the queen's and the Duran Duran Spandau ballets who still get play these days and you can strike up gold and everybody knows what it is even now, whereas I don't see too many acts right now having that level of longevity, but I think that's just the era that we live in that everything's much more disposable, but that's a theological discussion for another time and definitely not on a wrestling podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's an interesting take, but I feel like we're just never going to know the answer for let's say 30 years.
0: Let's Every come year back. Year. Let's book a date. 30 years we'll time. You and me, we'll get together yeah. and we'll discuss 2050. that. 2050. Right, we'll see how right we were. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if I'm still here, consider it a done. Twenty
1: <laughs> fifty. Excellent. Well, uh, Ross Owen-Williams, thank you again so much for your time this morning, your time, this afternoon, our time. Uh, it has been really interesting learning a bit about um, the life behind being a co-author and also talking to another wrestling historian such as yourself. So we, we really appreciated it and thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been great fun. Uh, I love what you guys do. So please do keep doing it. It's so important that folks like you can bring uh, great interviews like you do with the other guys and then crap like you do with me here. Uh, that's my <laughs> that's my fault, not yours. So, uh, know, is, but thanks, no, for give, thanks so much for giving great, me a chance bro. to spout.
1: <laughs>
0: no, really good. Really good fun.
1: Thanks, bro. And uh, everyone out there, thank you for watching the show here on the WZWA Network I am your co-host, California Free, alongside Ross Owen Williams, and we will see you next time. Thank you.